You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. You're laughing. That's really good. Anybody have a pet turtle? Just curious. Anybody have a pet turtle running around your house? No. We were looking for like a, you know, a model, really, for that video. So, no. Well, welcome. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, this is the first week of a, of a series called Stuck, and I'm just going to do this intro a little bit different than we normally do. No quippy story, no little question or anything like that. I just want to tiptoe in and, and talk about how we got where we are and, and, and why we're talking about what we're talking about here these next couple of weeks. So if you've been with us for the last month, uh, you know we've been in this sermon series called Made New, and it's this kind of just general fundamentals about discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What do I have to have in my life to flourish spiritually? And we talked about a lot of really good stuff, but we got to turn the coin over a little bit, and we're going to kind of look at the negative of the photograph. If that's the picture, what's the negative look like? And that's what this is. Why do we get stuck? What prevents me from flourishing spiritually? How often do we get stuck? Anybody ever feel stuck? Sure you do, right? I do. Um, there's just times in our life we just hit these things like, what are we up to? And so the hard part, actually, when we were talking about this series and planning it is, okay, how do you take all of this stuff and try and distill it into just a couple of weeks? And so for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about just four common areas where we get stuck. Anxiety, fear, shame, and worry. And I'm willing to bet that if you're in the room this morning or if you're watching online and you have a pulse, these are just things that hit you at some point in your life to varying degrees. Anxiety, fear, shame, and worry. And here's my, my belief on this, and I think you're with me, that, that churches need to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, we want to normalize this kind of conversation. Silence is not a solution. We can't just sit back and go, well, this will blow over. Um, I don't think so. I think we need to talk about these things. We need to normalize them. And so a couple quick house rules for us, because all four of these areas sort of touch on issues of mental health. And so a couple quick sort of house rules that will serve kind of as guiding rails for us as we uh, walk through these the next couple of weeks. So house rule number one, any conversation around mental health should begin and end with love. There's a stigma that's kind of associated around mental health, and it should not be there in our culture, and it absolutely should not be there in the church. And the stigma is like, well, you know, if you're suffering with these things, it's probably because you just don't have enough faith. And that's not true. And maybe you've been told that by some well-intentioned pastor or some church somewhere along the way, and, and that's really irresponsible for somebody to tell you that, just slap a sticker on it and go, no, you just need to have more faith and it'll all be okay. Um, that's not very loving. It's not very kind. And, and so any conversation around mental health, and certainly these next few weeks with us here, really are going to talk, hopefully, you're going to sense that they're heavily, heavily seasoned with love. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this, that the body functions well in love. 1 Corinthians 12 is Paul's great expose of the church as a body, and he follows it up with 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus never, never shames sufferers, and neither should we. So that's kind of house rule number one. House rule number two, 
individuals are not issues. And I think the reason why there's a stigma around mental health is because, man, if I, if I step out and I tell you, man, I, I struggle with this or this is kind of there in my life. If I do that, then I become my issue. It's not really true. God's word teaches us in, in, in Proverbs. I love this one. It's one of my favorites. Proverbs 20, verse 5. It says, the purpose of a man's heart is a deep well, and a man of understanding can draw it out. These are issues that are as complex as they are deep. And so it's not, we shouldn't be very quick around this and go, oh, well, this is just your issue. No, we are individuals who walk through life, and life bangs us up a little bit. We are not our issues. People are not problems to solve. House rule number three. This is kind of my favorite. Dimmers are better than light switches. Here's what I mean by that. In your house, you got two different ways to turn on the lights, probably. you got a couple that are light switches and maybe a couple that are dimmers. Light switch, you turn on the light in a dark room, instantly everything is lit up. Dimmers are a little bit different. They take a little bit. That's a little bit more like the conversation around mental health. Things don't happen as quickly as maybe they would like. You can't just flip a switch and instantly everything changes. Very rarely is that the case. And so we want to be clear just that this is going to take some time. Moses struggled with fear, was debilitated by it. David struggled with shame. Paul had bouts with depression brought on by physical and spiritual and emotional exhaustion. So you're in good company if you are frustrated by how slow the dimmer is bringing light. But know this, light can come and light will come. So here's where we're going this morning. Um, Our time is going to break neatly in half this week. We wanted to introduce this series in a very strategic way. So for the first 15 minutes or so, we're going to look at Psalm 61. And you can turn there, flip there, scroll there, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. This is David just externalizing his own feelings of anxiety. And more importantly, this is David answering the question, that we all ask in times like this, where is God when I feel this way? Where is God when I'm wrestling with anxiety? That's the first 15 minutes of our morning. And then the last 15 minutes, I'm actually going to invite Pastor Micah, who's our worship pastor here at North Canton Chapel, to join me on stage to share his personal journey with anxiety. Uh, Micah has been very open and honest, courageously so, about his journey, even from the stage as he's preached and led. And um, so I know that when you hear his words... Sometimes just hearing somebody talk about it makes you go, oh, yeah, I get that. That's how that feels. And um, so I know when you hear his words, I think you're going to resonate with it. And I know you're also going to hear shades of Psalm 61 and what he shares this morning. So that's just going to be this week. But I just feel like that's an important step for us to take as a church just to kind of normalize this conversation a bit. So before we get to the text itself, Psalm 61, go ahead and flip there. If you've got it open, you'll notice that right underneath There's a subheading, there's a subtitle. These happen every once in a while in the Psalms, and I want to key in on it just to introduce it. What's it say? It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments of David. So who wrote this psalm? David, right? David. David the shepherd boy. David the giant killer, right? David the king. David the adulterer. David the murderer, David the liar. David is this deeply complex character in the Old Testament. On one hand, he's this deeply sensitive, warm, God-fearing man of character. First Samuel actually calls David a man after God's own heart. Like, I'd love that description, wouldn't you? 
a man after God's own heart, that's great. But then on the other hand, he's this like reckless, immature, like wildly veering megalomaniac. Like you just look at his tumultuous relationship with King Saul, that whole Bathsheba narrative, and then his own kids. You're just like, yikes. Who is this guy? He's this GQ cover story, CSNBC news feature, and then Vanity Fair expose all in one. Like, how am I supposed to deal with King David? Here's why I bring all that up. David knows a thing or two about the complexities of the subterranean emotional life. He dealt with anxiety, he felt the fear, he sat with shame, and he wrestled with worry. And it's a little on the nose, but I think David knows what it means to feel stuck. And when you read through Psalms, this is like peering into his private, poetic, personal prayer journal. All that emotional complexity just comes spilling out over the pages. And so what we read is raw theology from a restless heart. So what's he say? Psalm 61, let's get into it and then we'll kind of... Kind of pull it apart a little bit. Psalm 61, verse 1. He says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. And then in the margin it says, Selah, which means just to sit and think on this. So where is David when he's writing this, first off? Where is he? Not geographically, where is he emotionally? Did you catch it? He says it right there. He says, when my heart is faint from the ends of the earth. How's that for emotional honesty? Imagine passing David in the hallway in church on Sunday morning while you're getting your coffee. You're like, hey, David, how's it going? How's it going? I'll tell you how it's going. I feel like I'm sitting at the end of the world. Nobody sees me. Nobody's ever been where I am before. Nobody gets me. And this heart that I have, this deep thing inside of me, it feels like it's crushed. It's gasping for air. I feel like I'm barely breathing. How's it going? That's how it's going. Okay, sorry, David. Right? Because how do we answer that question, most of us, right? How's it going? Good. Busy. Good. Tired. Busy. Good. Right? Don't you wish there was a way to be emotionally honest without betraying the fact that we are all like way more emotionally tense than we really let on? And this is the most visible, powerful, morale-inspiring, vision-casting man in all of God's kingdom, and he just goes, Bleh. he's the king, right? What about a poker face? He's just like, no, here, here. Well, what does he want? Does he want pity? Does he want... Like reciprocity, reciprocation, just the fact that maybe somebody gets him, somebody can understand. Actually, it's something much deeper than that. He makes a couple of requests. The first show up in verse 1, and then another one shows up in verse 2. So take a look. Here's what he says in verse 1. He says, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. And then he just explodes into this beautiful, deep, richly imaged metaphor in verse 3 where he says, lead me to the rock. Hear me, listen to me, and then lead me. That phrase, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Gosh, don't you just love that? What a beautiful expression. Inside that prayer, there's like these three kind of quick unseen confessions that I want to kind of fly over a little bit here. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. First, I mean, he's kind of saying, I'm stuck. I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be, God, 
I'm not where I want to be. I'm in a low place. This whole metaphor, this whole picture kind of brings to mind somebody who's wedged between two rocks, like in a crevice, and their foot is jammed in there. And like the harder they work and the harder they try to get out, the deeper they go, the more they struggle, the worse stucker they get. Like I try and I try and I try and I just can't get out of this thing. You know what that feels like? Just stuck. But then, almost as if he looks up, he says, oh, there's a rock that's higher than I. That's optimism, right? There's someplace better. I don't know how to get there. (laughs) I remember being there. I look around and everybody else is there. How come I can't get there? He's encouraged by this existence, but he's daunted by the distance. And isn't that a hallmark of anxiety? I remember a better place. Everybody else is there, but I'm still here. Anxiety has a way of paralyzing our present and preventing our future. But then here's where David does something amazing inside of this prayer. He just prays. He goes, I can't get myself where I need to go, God, but you can. Lead me. I just need you, God. I need you. You have to lead me out of this. Let me pull off to the side for a second. That is one of the most beautiful declarations of worship that I can think of. There's this little honest confession about his inability to do what he needs to have done in his life and then paired with complete confidence in what God can do. That's worship. It's God, I can't, but God, you can. And here's where most of us miss it. This is going to sound really harsh. Most of us are unconscious idolaters. Sounds really harsh, right? Here's what I mean. Most of us, assuming we can get to the place where we can admit our own stuckness, not sure if that's a word, but assuming we can get to the place where we go, I'm stuck, what do we do? We're really good at looking for anything else to get us out of where we are, get us someplace where we want to be. Right? I just need this drink. I just need to let the pressure off a little bit. This new job is going to fix it. This will do it. I need a new environment, new people, bigger paycheck, right? I need a new spouse. I need somebody else in my life. I need this. This is what I need. This piece of legislation, right? How about that for a news story? This will fix it. If I could get this passed, then all the anxiety will instantly vanish. This, 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 this. I need this. If your this is anything but God, you probably need to check your heart. That sounds harsh, but this is David's confession here where he goes, I don't need this, 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 this. Come hell or high water, I just need you, Lord, you're that good. Just you. But here's here's the thing. In the moment, there's another question hanging overhead, and we need to ask it. Because when you're in the moment, when you're there, when you have this faint heart, and you're desperate, and you're pinned between the rocks of anxiety, the real question is, Not, God, I know you can, but God, I need to know that you will. And I love that question, because in the moment, that's the struggle. Like, when we're stuck in the moment, and it's really, really hard, we don't question God's ability, we question God's willingness. We go, God, I know you can do anything, you're God, but I need you to do this thing right now. I need you to get me out of this thing. And then here comes the shift that buttresses David's own belief. Take a look in verse 3. He says, for you have been. 
Do you ever notice how through the entire Old Testament, how God introduces himself in these crazy ways? You have been my refuge here. And if you look all the way through the Old Testament, when God is about to do something new on behalf of his people, he introduces himself like this. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What's with the long title, God? Why the explanation? I know. What's God doing? What does the rearview mirror have to do with the windshield? Here's the principle. God's provision in the past ensures his presence in the future. And that's why we need a backlog of God's faithfulness in our life. Because he was with me then, I know he'll be with me then. All throughout the Old Testament, God asks his people to inspect what he's done in the past as a testament of his character for the future. And here's how this relates to anxiety specifically. If you're looking for relief from anxiety, remember that light switch dimmer thing? It isn't quick. Definitely isn't quick. But if you're feeling stuck, looking to get to this rock that's higher than you, the best place to draw comfort is not from what is in front of you, but in who is behind you. Spiritual health is cumulative. It is not an overnight thing. This is, Lord, you have been good. Lord, you have been safe. Lord, you've never let me down. Lord, I was backed up against a Red Sea. Lord, I had nowhere to go, but you showed up. Lord, I was about to drown in my doubt, and you split a sea open for me. Look what you have done, Lord. This is just the art of gospeling yourself. And then... David's about to go somewhere deeper, and he's about to ask for something more. And take a look in verse 4. Here's what he says. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Now, here's what I want us to see. Have you noticed here how David uses three different metaphors in the span of two verses? Increasingly intimate metaphors. In verse 3, what was God? God was a what? He was a strong tower. It's great, strong, safe, secure, but then he becomes a tent. Let me dwell in your tent forever. And then, here at the end of verse 4, under the shelter of your wings. It's like a mother bird. That's almost too intimate for me. It's a little little too close for comfort. So David first imagines God like this strong, resolute tower that he can run into, this safe place that doesn't move. It's a rock. That's what God is. And then he becomes a tent. Now, our 21st century minds go to camping, right? It's actually something much more beautiful and much more significant theologically than that. In the Old Testament, whenever the word tent shows up, a lot of times, and it's the case here, it's in reference to the tabernacle, this place where God met with his people when they were wandering around in the wilderness, alone, afraid, and with enemies on every side. That brings a whole lot of richness to that image, doesn't it? Let me dwell in your tent, God. I just want to be here with you. And then this last image of a mother bird. I want to shelter under your wings. Like, God, I don't want there to be any space between us. I, don't want, I want to hide myself in you. I want to be so close to you, God, that in order to get to me, trouble has to get over you. That's what he's looking for here. Lord, I just want to be with you. What's the point? More of us, I believe are battling anxiety now probably more than ever. I think it's our culture. I think it's in our church. And you can blame whatever you want. You can blame government upheaval. upheaval. You can blame the mask mandate thing. You can blame whatever. There's lots of reasons. 
And the point is not to point at the reason. The point is to get a little bit deeper than that. Faint hearts and desperate faith. And I know some of you, you're hearing this, and before Pastor Micah comes up and, and kind of shares some stuff with us in just a minute, you hear this great picture of God as, as, a, as a mother bird. And you're like, I just can't get there. That's too, too intimate. I don't feel that way. Um, and my word for you is this. Like we said, this is a dimmer, not a light switch. The way out of anxiety is not through shame. Don't shame yourself out of it. And don't shame others who are in it. The way out of anxiety is not by running from empty idol to empty idol. The way out of anxiety is an increasingly intimate relationship with a father who loves you. And if you're wondering where the gospel is in this message, it's coming up in just a couple of verses. And we're going to return to it in just a few moments after we hear from Pastor Micah and as we head into communion. Because David actually says something in just a little bit that is incredibly beautiful. And it's incredibly strong in what it foreshadows. And so, Pastor Micah, uh, if you'd come. And um, a couple little things just by way of introduction here. So, um, whenever we talk about mental health, the other thing that we need to be aware of, and this is a giant disclaimer, is that as pastors, we're trained as pastoral counselors. We're not counselors, and there's a big difference. Okay? There are mental health clinicians, and they are trained to do uh, a lot Pastors are trained to do just that much of mental health counseling. And so what we're about to share comes from personal experience and also comes from pastoral counseling. Those are very different things. And so what you're going to see is a lot of personal story and a lot of kind of just personal dialogue around this. Um, I will tell you, and you'll hear me reference this again, if you're here this morning and you're going, yeah, I've got this debilitating anxiety, like there are days I can't get out of bed, um, there are days I just cannot function, you need to know that as a church, we have a partnership with licensed clinical health counselors that approach these issues from a Christian and a biblical trajectory. And that's really important for you to know. You do not need to go this alone. And we would love to walk with you through whatever your next step might be. And so with that, um, Micah, I brought you up here. I dragged you up here, actually. That's not true. Howdy. Hi, good to see you. I asked him a couple of weeks ago. I said, hey, I think we're going to do this. And um, you know, I want to know if you would consider just opening your heart and, and giving some language to this struggle. So um, now for me, like personally, um, anxiety is not my poison of choice. Um, mine's coming up in a couple of weeks, so quick foreshadowing on that one. Um, anxiety is not the thing for me, but it, anxiety affects people that I love very deeply, uh, people in my home, people in my family. Um, and so for those of us who are kind of on the outside looking in, um, tell us what anxiety feels like. What, what is this thing? Yeah, so uh, again, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, again, everything I say, just echoing what you said already. So I'm not a clinical counselor. I do not have a doctorate degree in any type of anxiety study or anything like that. So again, it is all from personal experience and just me working through it as I've tried to look at scripture and tried to navigate it myself. Um, but for me, I, I tend to look at anxiety with three different areas. Uh, it's physical, mental, and spiritual. Uh, and so physically, just very practically for me, um, there's sometimes when things get really bad, symptoms are kind of like a heart attack, which is not fun. Um, but my face gets really flushed, gets super tingly all through your body, kind of like if your hand or foot falls asleep, and feel that just through your whole body. Um, chest gets very tight, hard time breathing. Uh, so physically, it's, it's disorienting. And then on top of that, mentally, uh, for me, I, I've equated it to sometimes I know the right step to take, uh, but it feels like I just can't. 
Uh, so logically, I'll go, I'll think in my head, I'm dealing with anxiety. I know I'm dealing with anxiety. I know that this isn't going to overcome me, but for whatever reason, I cannot put one foot forward mentally. Um, and it just, the stuck is a really good word for it. It just feels like you can't move one way or the other. Um, and then spiritually, anxiety is just really frustrating, if I'm honest. Like, that's the word that I want to say. Um, because what can happen is I believe that, at least for me, Satan has used anxiety um, as a tool to get me to believe lies. Uh, so Jesus in John 8, chapter 44, he says that Satan is the father of lies. And really, when I'm in the middle of an anxiety attack, um, it's just this constant lie over and over again, getting me to believe things that aren't true, getting me to place my, uh, my mind and my heart and my affections on things that are not Jesus. Um, in fact, one of the, the things that I heard early on in a lie that uh, Satan was getting me to believe as a pastor uh, was that I was not a good pastor because I wrestled with anxiety. Uh, and that came on the heels of a message that I once heard where uh, a very well-intentioned pastor was trying to help people navigate through this. And he said, if you continually struggle with anxiety, your faith in God is too small because your view of God is too small. Uh, and I thought, man, you just don't know. Yeah. In my mind, I thought, you don't wrestle with anxiety. Uh, because oftentimes, the very first thing I'll do is hit my knees and pray. I'm going, God, would you help me see rightly in this? Um, but for whatever reason, God either wouldn't do that all the time. Sometimes he would, but other times he wouldn't. Uh, and so, again, for those three things, uh, that's, that's really how we view it. Okay. Yeah. So, um you're obviously a Christian. You are somebody who is seeking to follow Jesus with every aspect of your life. I sure hope so. It's a good, it's a good thing for a pastor to be in that spot, by yeah. the way. So um, th th that brings this question, like, okay, so there's anxiety over here, and, like, there's faith over here. Can Christians struggle with anxiety? Like, it seems like a simple question, but, like, how does this, how does this work? Are these things opposites? Can you faithfully follow Jesus and still wrestle with anxiety? Yeah, so short answer is yes. Um, yeah, just very short answer is yes. But also, and, and I realize that this might be slightly controversial, um, I believe Jesus models this for us. Uh, so in John, uh, or sorry, not John, in Luke chapter 22, verses 42 through 44, uh, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's looking ahead at what's to come. He knows the things that he's going to face. And we see him praying fervently to his Father. Uh, so much to the point where he feels anxiety to the point where it says that angels are sent to strengthen him. Uh, so we see this humanity in Jesus where did Jesus need strengthened? Apparently in this moment he did for whatever reason. Like the human side of him did. Uh, we see him sweating in anxiety to the point where it says that he sweat drops of blood. Um, and so he knows all these things. He's, he's got the physical thing going on. He's got the mental thing. In fact, he says, Father, if there's any other way to do this, could we do that? Um, and, and so we see Jesus in this really, really vulnerable spot. Um, and so, again, the short answer is yes. And the, the reason that I look at that passage specifically is, again, one of the lies that you can believe is I don't have enough faith in God if I wrestle with anxiety. Um, and so if the second person of the Trinity, not to sound coy, um, but if Jesus can be in this moment on his knees praying, God, can we do this another way? Um, and in this complete moment of anxiety, and it makes him no less a perfect spotless lamb uh, on the cross paying for the atonement, or the atonement of our sins, right? Um, if it doesn't affect him in any way there, then it's also not sin for us. Yeah, that's um, and that's really important, especially if you're in this room and you have dealt with anxiety and you have ever thought, 
my faith is too small. Um, it wasn't for Jesus. Uh, and so if it wasn't for him, it's not for you, and there is hope for you. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a good word. So um, for you personally, let's, let's kind of get into you, but what, when did you know anxiety was a thing for you? Like, was there something that tripped where this isn't like, oh, I'm, I'm occasionally worrisome or I'm worried about something happening, and, then you, and you kind of knew, hey, I, I, this is something I need to pay attention to. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of a silly story looking back on it. Um, so there was a season in my life where I, I had multiple stressors and multiple things going on uh, that at the time I was just not mature enough and not aware enough to recognize, hey, these things are all caution flags. You should be aware of what's happening. Um, but I had a season, my father had passed away pretty recently. I had a major job change that required me to start moving to uh, a different location for my job, so spending more time away from my family. There are multiple things that were kind of hitting the fan, if you will. Um, and in this moment, I, I'm at home and I start, I'm doing the dishes because this is what we do. Kristen makes incredible food and I clean up like this. <laughs> I, I can't, yeah, I can't make food as well <laughs> as she can. And so I just do the cleanup work. Um, but I'm cleaning the dishes and I've got this pan and I just cannot get this pan clean. And again, I know this sounds ridiculous. Some of you have been there, um, but I just could not get the spot off of this pan and I'm scrubbing it and I'm scrubbing it. And the thoughts that started going in my head were, and if you can't get this pan clean, Kristen's going to think you are, like, you can't do anything as a husband. Like, you're not worthy enough to be her husband. If she thinks that, she's going to go look for that in the arms of somebody else. And again, like, let me just clarify, Kristen had given me no indication that that was a problem. She's unbelievably faithful, and I'm way, way blessed for her to be my wife. Um, but I just start going down this rabbit hole of, and if Kristen, if Kristen leaves me, uh, that's going to be weird for me because we'll probably get a divorce and I'm a pastor and that's problematic and because it's going to look like I can't manage my family well and so I'm probably going to lose my job. Uh, I'm going to end up homeless. I'm never going to see my kids again. All of my degrees are in church work and right, like it sounds ridiculous, right? Like you start saying it out loud and you're going, this is, it's never going to happen. Like it's not going to happen. Um, but again, mentally, you just get stuck. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, something is really wrong because I'm weeping, uh, cleaning this pot. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Like something is wrong with me uh, or going on in a way that, that I have never been able to put a finger on. And so, it, again, it sounds silly, but that was kind of the moment when I realized something is off here. Um, and so in that moment, um, shortly after that, I went and started seeing a, a counselor just mm -hmm. about grief with my father um, and with my father passing away. Uh, I went and saw my doctor and started talking about medication and what that might look like. Um, and those things were things that helped me through different seasons. It's, yeah. it's a great story. And it's, it, it is funny because, like, when you tell that story, I've heard you share that story before, and there's always this little bit of a, like, oh, my gosh, dude, really? But that's how that works is yeah. it just grabs a hold of your heart, and it, it, it just spirals you into a place that you didn't expect. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's interesting you brought up medication. So any, any conversation around mental health, um, especially in a Christian community, this issue usually comes up. And so um, I know this is your personal conviction. It's a personal conviction yep. that you and I share. Um, ultimately, this is a, a personal decision. But if, if you would speak on that, should, should Christians seek medical help for this kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, so again, this is a, per, a personal conviction for me. I, I cannot answer this prescriptively for everybody in the room. Okay, so, um, yes, I think you can take medication for anxiety. Uh, in the same way that if you have high cholesterol and you take medication to curb that problem, 
Uh, in the same way, if you are diabetic and you take insulin because something in your body is not functioning correctly and it's making things act strangely, uh, the last time I checked, the physical center of your mental health is your brain. Uh, and there are some times that your brain physically does not function the way that it is supposed to. Uh, so in the same way that you might take something for a heart arrhythmia or anything else, I believe that uh, we have some good things there that can help us in that way. Um, that being said, I am fairly homeopathic. Uh, so if there is a weird essential oil <laughs> or something that I can do, out, like I don't like taking a leave. It's just me, like for whatever reason. And I've always been that way. Um, and so again, it's, it's gotta be a personal thing for you. Uh, I've also found that just quite honestly, there is a relation to my physical health and my mental wellness. Um, and so if I am not eating well, if I'm not taking care of my body in general, my mental state does suffer. Um, and again, that's not the state, not the truth for everyone, but at least for me, that's what I've, what I've realized. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so let's get back to the community element of, of this. So for those of us that are maybe, uh, we're on the outside looking in, and there's folks that we care for, um, either in our family or, or our neighborhood, um, uh, those in our church community, that we're, we're on the outside looking in, I really care for you, um, but I don't know what to do. I want to help, I just don't know how to do it. So what are some things that have been helpful for you uh, along the way? Um, and then maybe some things that maybe haven't been so helpful. Sure. Um, so I, I think one of the big things is, is to pray for those that you know and love that wrestle with anxiety. Um, yeah, pray for them. That is a good and, and godly thing to do. Um, and also, it's for those of you in the room who do have family or friends that, that wrestle with this, it's okay to not know what to say. Um, and maybe that's just a relief for you. You're going like, I don't, I don't know how to you know, dive into this. Like even our conversation, you're going, this is not the thing that I deal with. That's a few weeks from now. Uh, but how? how? How can I help? Uh, and sometimes just honestly knowing that someone is there that's going, hey, I don't know what to say, but I am here and I will walk with you through it that's is right. extraordinarily helpful because uh, it makes you feel not alone. And for those of you in the room like me that have wrestled with and have battled against anxiety, uh, you will have a tension to isolate yourself. Don't. Um, don't do it. Give the people who love you the tools that they need to help you when you don't know how to ask for it. Um, and so even one of the things, just very practically, so with Kristen and I, uh, she doesn't really wrestle with this a whole ton, um, but just telling her, because there's some times in the mornings that I would wake up and I could just tell, like something's off today. Uh, and maybe that doesn't make any sense, but for those of you in the room who have dealt with that, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you just wake up and you're going, man, something is off, and I can't put a finger on it. Just telling her, hey, I've got something that's going on. I need you to know about it. Um, it's been extremely helpful for her because she doesn't perceive me as a complete jerk later. <laughs> um, right? Like it just gives, it gives her tools in her tool belt to help. Um, she also has helped me in a lot of ways. Again, sometimes my mind won't put two and two together. Um, and so she starts asking me very logical questions uh, where my mind won't think logically. Mm -hmm. And so, because I can, can, I can tend to catastrophize things, if that That's makes sense. That's a good sense. word. Yeah, and maybe, it's, I don't know if I'm, I think I did. That's an awesome um, word. But again, it's like worst case scenarios, right? So like cleaning the pot turns into I am homeless without a job, never seeing my kids again, right? Like, let's just be real. Uh, that's fairly catastrophizing, uh, where Kristen would go, hey, so, you know, like, you probably just need a little more Dawn. Um, like, there, there's gotta be, but again, like, because my mind won't do it. Like, I, it won't make those steps. And so for her to just be very practical, and um, it, it's just, it's helpful in that. Um, 
and just full disclosure, there was a few weeks back, uh, so I, I was leading, leading worship uh, and had a moment where I could feel an anxiety attack coming on in the middle of a song. Um, and that ha- that's never happened to me on stage before. Um, and it, so it kind of freaked me out a little bit. So we ended up cutting a chorus. Like we had this whole other thing we were going to do. And we chopped it all. I just started praying. Band walks off stage. And so they're all going, did we do something wrong? What's going on? Like, um, and so I just, just very practically, again, instead of isolating, I just shot a text to, like, to the team that was on that morning. said, hey, guys, here's what happened. I just need you to know. Um, and Larry and Nikki came and found me and just prayed over me. They're going like, look, we don't get it, we're not, we, but we're here with you, we're going to pray over you, because we believe that Jesus is victorious over this, awesome. uh, which he 100% is. So, awesome. Yeah. So, um, last question, and then, yeah. then we're going to head someplace else. Um, you've got a lot of really great tips that you, you use for yourself. These are these yeah. promises of God that you remind yourself of. And so, maybe for somebody who's here this morning, and I mean, like, the kettle is boiling right now, and we're just like... I don't know what to do. I'm, I came here this morning, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to leave in one piece. Sure. Um, can you walk us through some of these promises that you give yourself um, that help you kind of, that, that are God's way of leading you to that rock yeah. that, that's higher than you are? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I, I've done is I've started talking about anxiety as a battle, not a struggle. Um, because if I am struggling, it means that I am being overcome, uh, but Jesus is, has already overcome this. Um, and so if you're in the room and you are dealing with anxiety, you need to know that Jesus has overcome it. Um, and so we battle against it, uh, but you do not struggle. If you're a child of God's, you do not struggle. You battle. So wage war. Um, and with that, the, one of the best things that I've learned to do is not pray specifically against the problem that I am facing, uh, but to begin to pray the promises of God. Uh, because, again, I will lie to me in the middle of the moments when I desperately need truth rather than lies. Uh, and so I've begun uh, to look through scripture and say, hey, how to order some scriptures that I can just remind myself of. And I got this really fun, like, forward email. I, normally I never get Those great. are usually a lot. Yeah, of they're normally really awful, but I always get, like, this came through and it was really good. It had just these nine promises uh, to battle anxiety. And the thing that I love about them is it's just scripture. Uh, And I don't deal with all of these all the time. You may not deal with all of these all the time, uh, but it's good, again, not to just say, hey, here's a pithy truth that you can hold to, but rather let's go to the truth that we know never changes. Um, And so there's a couple. Uh, When you're anxious about about some risky new venture or a meeting, uh, I battle the promise of, uh, I battle unbelief with the promise, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Um, And so again, like, pray who God is into these situations. Remind yourself of truth. Uh, When I'm anxious about, this is one for me, uh, when I'm anxious about my ministry being useless and empty, that's a lie that Satan would feed to me. Uh, I fight unbelief with the promise, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it will not come back to me empty but accomplish that which I purpose and prosper in it, the thing for which I sent it. Uh, And there's a ton. There's when I'm anxious about being too weak to do work, when I'm anxious about decisions that I have to make about the future, anxious about facing opponents in life, when I'm anxious about being sick, I battle unbelief with the promise that tribulation works patience, patience, approvedness, and approvedness, hope. And hope does not make us ashamed. Uh, When I'm anxious about getting old, when I'm anxious about dying, when I'm anxious that I may make a shipwreck of my faith and fall away from God, 
I battle unbelief with the promise. He who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And again, it's just these, these promises that it just takes me back to scripture. And it makes me focus on the person and work of Jesus, who he is, what he has done. Yeah. I love that. Micah, thank you so much for just being able to step up and share. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.